When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey gang, just wanted to let you know that you can now get a free 14-day trial of our Chronicles Defosi Patreon membership. Subscribe now for free for 14 days to get access to all of our full episodes, solo minisodes, bonus content, even behind-the-scenes bonuses like our chats about football, and of course, our chats about life in general. You can also get the entire bank catalogue of Serie A Chronicles content. So head over to seriachronicles.com forward slash Patreon and subscribe to the Chronicles Fosie membership for free. Serie Chronicles is a Media Chronicles production. Should we do a podcast, guys? <laughs> we should do a podcast. I was just thinking now. Should we just leave it there and say, we'll see you next week? <laughs> Honestly, I do feel like sometimes these chats would be things people would actually really enjoy listening to. So it's a shame. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Serie A Chronicles podcast. I'm Mina Rizuki and as always, I'm joined by Nikki Bandini. Now, guys, we've been chatting for about an hour before this podcast. I'm already worn out. <laughs> I feel like I'm ready to go home. I've already said my pieces on everything. You know? Producer Simon was antagonizing you with... Now, you were antagonizing the producer Simon, actually. It wasn't that way around at all. <laughs> you started telling poor producer Simon, who's a Roma fan, that he should support Juventus and you would you know, giving him all the reasons. Because he's a secret, he's a secret Juve fan. And then he's like, it's almost like Roma's just a hobby, but deep down he agrees <laughs> with Juve's ideals. And I'm just like, which is it? You know, because I come on, producer Simon, just admit that, that you have a soft spot for them. <laughs> Do you know, like without sort of rehashing that conversation completely, it was kind of interesting because like, I think it's really interesting, like when you haven't got, a childhood reason to support a team. It's like, I'm an Arsenal fan because my brother was an Arsenal fan and my brother was an Arsenal fan because my granddad was an Arsenal fan. So it kind of all went from there and we lived close enough. But fans, and especially like people who listen to this podcast, pretty English lang- language listeners might not live in Italy, like start thinking about like why they would support a team. And I think it's really interesting the reasons people start supporting teams. And I, I've always been like a big one for like 
where would you like to go on holiday? If you'd like to go on holiday somewhere, pick that team, then you've got an excuse to go on holiday there. And that's a, a good way to pick a team. But what you're suggesting, I think, Mina, is like there are certain character Ooh. traits that you feel like fit a certain team. Yeah. And you think, for instance, with Juventus, I think your case was like Juventus is for people who are like business minded and who are like, um, have that perspective on life. Logical. Yeah. Perhaps cynical in their business mindedness, given ongoing news stories without getting too far back down that rabbit <laughs> hole. But I always think that you should support a club whose ideology mixes with yours. Like, I'm not somebody who really cares to go and, and like, I'm not much into the arts, right? So I don't really care if you're going to entertain me on the football pitch. I need you to win, goddammit. That's what I need you to do. They fit my philosophy in life in that sense. You know, it's business. It's about like IPOs. Let's, let's go into the stock market. Like, I love that. But I also just, I love conservative stuff as well. I am a little bit conservative in nature. But whereas I do feel like there are people that like go to football for genuine entertainment or like what happens on the sidelines or the ultras or the, the nature of being a fan. And I, I don't get that. <laughs> it's almost like I just don't understand that part of football, you know? So when people were like really upset about the Super League because it wasn't romantic, I was like, oh, really? It makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I, I have to take a step back and try to see the full picture. So, and because I think producer Simon has a little, you know, conservative in him, I think that he's somebody who's sort of like a, really a Juventus fan because he, you know, <laughs> anyway, that's how I think, but it would be nice to see why team, why like, as in why our listeners support the teams that they support. What is it for? Is it as a player? Is it? That's a great question. I'd love to hear that from people who, who don't have like that historic route, like the, the sort of birth reason, I suppose, to, to support a team, why, why they've come to certain teams. Like following your logic, Mina, I could totally make a case for like, so like, if you're someone who just wants to be like head over heels about like the thing and, you know, everything is a hundred percent of the feeling all the time, then that takes me to somewhere like Roma maybe. Whereas if you want to be someone who, do you know what, like you just like a wild ride, like you like the ups, you like the downs. Well, that's Inter, that's Amala, that's Pazza Inter, where it's going to be the highs and it's going to be the lows and you're never going to understand what's coming next, but you'll get some, some, some of those experiences. I, I think I could, I can go with you on that. Like there's, there's sort of difference to, you know, life perspectives that would fit better for different teams. Yeah, it's also what you're going through in the moment. Like, I know this sounds crazy, but during the champ, like in the Champions League, I'm firmly an Inter fan. And I have no idea why I, I become an Inter fan when I watch the Champions League, because what they did against Barcelona, I was like going crazy because it was like the pride of Italian football. <laughs> it was almost like they represented everything to me, you know? And so I needed them mm -hmm. to win because I needed to prove a point about the quality of, of Italian football. And I, I just felt like Milan wasn't going to do that for me. So I was firmly an Inter fan, you know? And, and now because of Osserman, I've become like this person that's like really obsessed with Napoli's journey. And, it, and it, when like, for example, Mancini was at Manchester City, I was a Manchester City fan. And then I fell in love with them even more because I'm obsessed with Manuel Pellegrini, the only, the only coach that I would bring to Juve and sack Allegri for. Because you know me, I'm never going to sack Allegri. So, um, like, it, <laughs> producer Simon is shaking his head because he's very, very uh, upset about Allegri's behavior in Coppa Italia. <laughs> but so I do change as well, if that makes sense. And anyway, do tell us, listeners, why or what the reasons are. I mean, it's always also because of a player, right? Like sometimes you'll love like a Del Piero or a Totti, and that could shape you. But I'm interested to know. 
Yeah. And, and I totally think if it was like me coming to football, Italian football blind right now with no previous connection to it, Osimhen would be the reason I would support Napoli. A hundred percent. Because he's, he's, he's <laughs> the most watchable player, I think, in the league right now. And also, if anyone watched the game with Ses, we'll talk about it later. Okay, we'll talk about it later. But just how he went to that woman. I love this man so much. You're nodding, Nikki. I, know, I, I love that bit. I was, I was laughing a little bit at that, that video. I don't, know, I don't know if our listeners will have seen it. But yeah, there's a, a video clip of Osimhen when Napoli were doing their warm-ups against Spezia. Like one of his shots, I guess, hit someone behind the goal and he goes in to make sure she's okay. And I saw it sort of being translated from Ragazza into like a, a like a, a young girl. And I, I, I don't know, maybe I just didn't see it well enough on the footage. She didn't look like that young. I mean, she looks like a young woman to me, not, not a young girl. But I mean, yes, it was, it was a very sweet thing to do regardless, whether, however old she was. Yeah, she also looked really confused by what was going on. And then you just see Victor Austin yes. going, I'm so sorry. And you're, you must be like, it's okay. Forget Spezia, you are my man. <laughs> now put it all the way. But anyway, let's record a podcast. Let's do that. It's um, been an exciting weekend, although there are still some matches to be played. Um, I'm particularly interested in how today lines up because there are, well, basically, I do sort of want to see what happens with Monza. So, and they are indeed um, playing against Sampdoria. Today, we've got Verona against Lazio and Salernitana versus Juventus tomorrow. So we won't be covering those teams for today, but we'll talk about the action and nothing is more important, perhaps, then what happened last night in the Milan derby as Inter hosted Milan. And it was just brilliant choreography with uh, Forza Diavolo coming from the Milan supporters and uh, the Nerazzurri having the, the serpent face as their choreography. It, was, it looked like it's going to be one of the best matches of the season. But for me... Actually, I didn't ask you that opinion. We've talked for about an hour and I didn't even ask you that, Nikki. For me, I found this to be a disappointing game in general. Uh, perhaps it had to do with the fact that obviously Milan decided to change everything. For that, Stefano Pioli has gotten a lot of flack for sort of mirroring the 3-5-2 that is often utilized by Inter. And within it, they sort of lost the brilliance that makes the Milan, which is the attacking football, which is the bravery that they always go for it and try to score. And we saw a Milan side that laid down its sword and, and sort of said, come on, attack us. And it was upsetting to watch, perhaps. Yeah, I, I think it was a disappointing derby overall. Um, the atmosphere was amazing, as it always is, and and you know you talked about the the big choreography and and you know I I thought there was some of the smaller stuff was 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 good as well. It was a sort of great quick jab from from the Milan fans with the you know the champions of Italy welcome the champions of Arabia, of course, making a, a you know diminishing <laughs> that Supercoppa win right away. But what you sort of can give and give out as a fan, quickly get a sort of overrun if your team's not very good. And, and Milan just weren't good at all. The game definitely goes the way it does because of, of what Stefano Pioli does, which is, for anyone who didn't see it, of course, Milan, their title win, the whole sort of character of, of the team over the last year and a half has been 
4-2-3-1 and press high up the pitch and in general play possession football. They're a team that generally wants to have the ball more, more than not. And they just were the opposite of that. They went to 3-5-2 that was really a 5-3-2 because even Teo Hernandez was barely going up the pitch. Um, they sat in a low block. They didn't press at all. And they basically just tried to, I think, you know, and, and this is a bit where I, I sort of, I hesitate to say that that's what cost them the game because I think there was a reasonable sort of thought in his head to start off with, which is, look, they'd conceded, what, nine, 12 goals in the last three games? I think it's something like 19 and eight games so far this year. Like they are conceding goals at a ridiculous rate. And purely obviously thought, I can't do this in the derby. Like I have to fix this. We have to defend. And so he brought in more defenders. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. But they gave up their ability to attack to such an extent that I also just didn't see any way they could not lose this game playing the way they played it. Um, they invited Inter onto them. They made no effort to, to, to contest that first half, it felt like. Inter had 75% of the ball practically in the first half. Milan didn't, in the first half, it wasn't just they didn't have a shot on target. They didn't have a shot, full stop. By the end of the game, I think they managed four shots, but still none of them on target. They didn't win a single corner in the whole game. And so it wasn't, it wasn't the derby. It wasn't what you wanted to be, where it's blood and thunder and both teams sort of colliding and, and going for it and throwing everything at each other. It felt like a game which Inter controlled at the beginning, mostly controlled all the way through to the end, maybe barring the briefest of moments when Rafael Leao came on. It's a very difficult one because, like you said, I do understand his reasonings for this. And, and the, one of the things is that Pioli has been criticized heavily for not changing anything. So sort of the only change really being is that he benched Leao in the last match. And everyone was like, no, when we want to change this, that's not what we meant. We need, we need more bodies in midfield. And I've said for me for a long time that I, I think that the midfield is the issue. Like they need to stack it. And so that's what he decided to do. It's exactly that. It's a case of like, we're going to have to fix our problems. And, and one thing I always think is when you're losing and you're losing a lot by a, you know, by a wide margin, then you need to get back to basics. Unfortunately for his team, they haven't recovered the basics because what they've done is gone a little bit more defensive. And I, I, like I said, I understand that. But when your team only manages 10 tackles, when Napoli's managing 22 on average, just to give you like a, an idea, when you still don't know how to defend set pieces, is these are the ones that I think that you need to focus on right now is the mistakes that are being made. But I, I feel sorry for Purely because this isn't a Purely problem. I, you can't outmaster this on a tactical level. I genuinely don't think that right now he has many options to go to because Giroud is not the player that he was before the World Cup. Teo Hernandez is not the player he was before the World Cup. Tonali is 
is just, he hasn't had the season that he had last season. Ben Asser is either suspended or injured recently. And for me, the biggest loss, obviously, of all is Mike Magnan, because he organized that defense. This was the best defense in Serie A last season. And without him, it is a huge problem. When at the time I wanted Donnarumma to stay in, I was like, throw whatever money you have to because the goalkeeper is so important. They were good enough to find Mike Magnan to make that difference. And he was almost even better than Donnarumma, to be honest with you. And not having him is making such a difference. And people keep saying, yeah, but look at Pioli. He's so wonderful. Even with all the absences, Milan still play. They can for a while, but after a while, you are literally just overachieving. You have to regress to the mean. And the mean is, is that this is the quality of Milan is not that great. So unless they're in optimum physical condition and mental condition at the very top, it's going to be difficult. And asking them to always overachieve with a terrible transfer market now and then is an issue. And this is where I say, like, you know, there's been a lot of talk about should they have gone with InvestCorp? Was Redbird the right team, you know, the, the right people to sort of sell the club to? Not that the club has really been sold because I, you know what I mean? I, I still think that same people are sort of still there doing the same things. But this was a bad transfer market. And I'm not saying that Ticatelare and Origi and all of these players won't grow into it. But one of the reasons why sustainability worked so well for Milan in the start and one why the kids were performing well was also because it was during COVID and there weren't fans mm-hmm. over there overlooking every moment of them. So they were able to grow in peace. And that's when they started this journey together and have like the, the authority of the Eni Ibrahimovic, of a, of a Giroud, of a Simon Cahier at the back to help that. Now you're asking a lot of these kids like the Catelare who've come in from, from Belgium to perform at this high level straight away because, you know, you're part of a champion team, the one that just won the Scudetto. And I just think it's going to need more time when you have a sustainable project. Unfortunately, you can't guarantee consistency. And this is not on Pioli. This is a team effort. And unfortunately, management have also let the team down. You know, you mentioned De Ketelaar is obviously the one who gets most attention. There's also Malik Tuel. There's also Asta Franks. Those guys are all like 20, 21 years old. And, and like, yeah, maybe they'll come good. And, and, and that's, that's sort of the point. But like between them so far this season, I think they've started like eight games or something. And yeah, Origi's got like another five. Like they, they've, they've just not even been considered ready to start games. And so the, the, the transfer market clearly was, was not good enough to keep them competing at the level they'd compete at. And I think everyone knew a bit they were overachieving last season. But having said that, Mina, I, I still think there's something sort of to, to dig into on, on that point of, you know, up till Christmas, they were still second. They'd won 10 games, drawn three and lost two, I think. They, they, they weren't going to get Napoli the way they were playing, but they were, they were doing well enough. And this sort of dramatic post-World Cup collapse, I think you, you definitely hit on one part of it in what you just said, because you mentioned Giroud. Giroud is, is not where he was. And it's really fascinating in this game, I think, the sort of confidence factor that is set like this sort of diverging paths, I guess, between him and Lautaro Martinez. Martinez, who we all, you know, prodded fun at and joked at having like a bit of a mess World Cup final, but has obviously come back from the World Cup being like, I'm a World Cup winner. And he's just bossing it. He's, he's playing as well as he has for Inter. Like he's doing really well. But the Giroud thing, obviously like hit in this game because there was that moment wasn't there in the 75th minute and it was just about the only time or game where you thought hang on Milan could score yeah when the hours come on and he, and he plays him through and Giroud miscontrols it and it's it's fascinating because it's like freaky coincidences but this game is almost exactly it's like one or two days out from me a year after 
last season's derby. And it's about one minute off exactly the same moment in last season's derby when Milan, who are 1-0 down in that game and who'd taken one point from their previous two games, have Giroud save their season, right? Like he scores twice in three minutes and the whole story changes from there. And this time he miscontrols it. And I think it sort of speaks to lots of things in that moment. Like there's a bit of like, well, you can't catch lightning in a bottle, bottle twice, right? Like what happened last season was really special. But also just the whole team right now feels like it's in that that sort of existential funk. But the thing I wanted to ask you, Mina, because like to me, this is kind of the the biggest sort of almost like addressable issue out of all of it. Like to me, I feel like the answer to your problems, at least right now, cannot be dropping your best player. Rafael Leao is your best player. Yeah. And like, okay, if you want to give him a kick up the bum, you dropped him in Sassuolo, it didn't work, but at least you've done it. And now you can say, okay, you've had to kick up the bum now. I understand there's this whole contract situation going on. He obviously hasn't signed his renewal. He's out of contract next year. There's a lot of talk about release clauses. Basically, his agent wants a release clause about 70 million euros, whereas Milan want that like 150 million euros. And I understand their position on that because 70 million is not a lot for a player of his quality. And I wonder how much that's playing into this. But Pioli's whole discourse afterwards where he's like, oh, you know, I can't play two, two players up front and have one of them be Liao. He doesn't play that position right. I, I just can't buy that. Like they had no threat on the counterattack being deep like that because they didn't have Liao on the pitch. Yeah, it seemed like a really odd decision. That's the one thing that I have to say with Pioli that you have to think about. Like I... I don't understand that at all. At all, one of the reasons, one of my main issues with Purely at the time was that you couldn't support four forwards with only two midfielders, and that put a lot of pressure on the defense. And here, weirdly enough, Enrico Sagi talks about this as well and said, you know, put another midfielder in. It, it, it's not about stripping away like the whole balance of the side. And and I do sort of understand that, but I think that if you're ever going for a win, and if you are trying to play sort of the Roma. Juventus way, which is that, you know, let's get back to basics and just defend and see what we can do on the counterattack, then do so with your best player on the pitch. And that, that is for me is, is the one thing that I, I have to say, I, I cannot at all comprehend. I don't know whether he just feels that right now he does mention about in, in the post-match conference about him not being in the game for the full 90 minutes. And that, you know, he's, he does have a habit of drifting in and out. And I wonder if there's some sort of punishment there, whereas Origi, you know, scored and, Maybe now we can sort of reclaim this player and make him something. But how many touches of a ball did Origi have? Like 14? So yeah. it surprises <laughs> me. Yeah. Well, you were just like in and out of the game for Leal. Like Origi was just out of the game, full stop. Like didn't do anything. Precisely. And, and, it, and it's interesting that in the second half when Leal does come, you know, that he does trigger Giroud. But Giroud obviously is not Giroud of old at the moment in time and suffering in that. But like I said, I, I do think that this is a team that has overachieved for a long time. Of course, there are things that you could do better. You know, you could have played Leao. At the end of the day, Giroud could have scored that goal and it would have been 1-1. So I don't know how to... <laughs> I don't know how much I blame purely. I think this is a, the whole sort of thing just a little bit falling apart right now. And then I think that everyone has and should be blamed for it, the players, the coach, as well as management. But I also do think that there will come a point where you can't expect them to just be going at this level the whole way through. There was always going to be a point where it falls apart, especially when they've had so many absences and they're sort of using a lot of makeshift balances all over the pitch. And I think that's the issue. But transfer market needs a lot of work for me. 
there is something on a psychological level which makes me feel like they've lost that confidence that they've played with. And I don't know how to reclaim that until you get back to basics. And even if they get back to basics, I don't think their team is built in a way that say Roma and Juve are, which can absorb a little bit of pressure and then go forward. Their team can't absorb pressure. They just don't have those types of players. Their players are attack players, almost all of them. I don't think they are ones that can just focus solely on defense and play that kind of way. So that's what worries me. Whereas let's say Inter obviously can do that if they want to. But theirs is just, Milan is just so quirky in the way that it's been built, you know, so beautiful in its desire to be technical, to be always going forward and looking forward that I, I'm not entirely sure that if you try to get them back into the basics, they would succeed. So what they really needed is a good bench that would allow people to rest and then keep moving it. And unfortunately, they don't have that. So I don't even know how to get them out of the situation if I was in charge. So I don't know what we should be expecting because I'm, 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 I'm really scared when they face Spurs. Spurs is one thing. I, I, I no longer can see them getting through that tie and, and that's you know more about them than it is about Tottenham. Although Tottenham obviously played well at the weekend. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. I don't know, Mina. Like, it, do you think this team's definitely still going to get in the top four? Because I'm not convinced anymore. It depends because if if Mike comes back, if, you know, when tomorrow comes back, I don't know if Zlatan's ever coming back or he's just a mascot now. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not really entirely sure of all of this. But um, I do... I do feel there is a way back. I just don't know how it can be established because I honestly wouldn't even know where to start, you know, because I did think that you need to get back to basics. And I did think that they learned a few things in this match that were important for them to learn. I thought there were certain points that they were very good defensively. At the end of the day, Inter just scored one goal. And I don't know whether that says more about Inter than it does about Milan. But that's another issue I have with Inter. It's kind of like all on Lautaro Martinez, who is a streaky player. And when he's good and you could say the confidence of Argentina, it is fantastic. He is like one of the best number nines to watch. And Chanaloglu always plays like a superhero because of the pettiness of Milan <laughs> that he's always trying to be like, yeah, screw you. I made the right decision. And, and his pettiness and all just gets really fun for all of us. But he plays... Amazingly, frankly speaking, he was stunning to watch. Inter were very good. And yet, despite, like you said, 75% possession, like a number of shots, and then you end up with a 1-0 victory over this Milan. Actually, if I'm Inter, I'm annoyed. I'm super annoyed at this. Like, this is the stuff that knocks you out of the Champions League last season. You were the team that had the most shots on goal and didn't manage to turn that into goals. And yet again, we've gone back to... Hopefully Lautaro Martinez scores. If he's having an off night, where am I going? Maybe Jekyll will come in with something, but it's, and then Barella makes these mistakes and it upsets me in the second half. I'm telling you, Milan could have gotten something. It's so soon now, the Champions League. Like it's crept up, hey? It's February now. We're like uh, eight days as we're recording this away from the Milan game, I think. So yeah, it's, it's here again. I don't know. I feel like it's going to be scary. But um, what did you think about Inter before we move on? Because I feel like we've just focused so much on that that we haven't given them enough 
props, perhaps? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting one because I have the same thing with my column I wrote on this game and I, I did focus much more on Milan. And I think that's appropriate because I I just didn't feel like this game was as much about Inter. I, I know it was like a good big moment for Inzaghi because even though he wins, he always seems to win the cup games against um, against me. I think was, wasn't this his first league win in the Milan derby? And, you know, it's it's a big win for them, keeps them sort of positioned as, as you know, second top of the league minus Napoli, basically, which is almost feels like it's a different league at this point, doesn't it? There's, you know, there's Napoli and then there's the rest of the league. So... It's a good win for Inter. I think they were far and away the better team in this game, which is the main thing, you know, to say they they won and they were the better team. You're right. They they weren't as as ruthless as they could have been and, and it would have been much better to have put this game away. But honestly, like I I didn't I didn't come away thinking, wow, Inter played that great. I thought in the first half, honestly, like given how sort of submissive Milan were being, Inter were quite predictable. They didn't do anything particularly clever. They just sort of kept trying to to get wide and put balls in. And I think they actually thought they were going to get more. It almost felt like they thought they were going to get more mistakes out of Tatarishani than they did. I thought Tatarishani had an okay game. He did, yeah. But in the end, they did find that one ball, didn't they, to near post and it worked for them. And and they did. Look, they, they did score two more disallowed goals at the end and and the offside one against Lautaro. It was correct, but it was marginal, right? So another day he starts a fraction later and it's 2-0. Like it's, you know, it's, it's not like they didn't have other chances. I, I just sort of feel like Inter are uh, trundling along. I think there's no part of me anymore that thinks they're, go- they're going to be good enough to catch Napoli. But I also think out of all the teams that are not Napoli, they're the one I'm most confident will finish in the top four. So I guess that's realistically what they're aiming for now in the league. I agree. Guys, this is a good time to tell you that this is a free episode for everyone to hear in full on the main podcast feed. If you like what you're hearing, we do have a 14-day free trial for our Chronicles to Fuzzy Patreon membership. So if you want to join and, and you're not sure you want to join, then do go on a free trial and see what you like. That will give you access to our full catalog. And to hear and read more about that, head over to setiachronicles.com forward slash Patreon now and uh, hopefully subscribe to the Chronicles to Fuzzy membership for free at the moment. Right. Let's move on to Spezia Napoli because this is just a, it's sort of like our weekly five minute, oh my God, is Victor Osman just the greatest guy in the world to watch segment? Um, is Karavatskalia just, you know what I think is so as- astonishing is today I was, I was reading this thing about Karavatskalia. I don't know where I was reading it, uh, one of the Neapolitan websites. And they were saying about how young he is. And I was like, yeah, but he's like, I don't know why in my head he's, I don't know. I never read people's ages and I'm always shocked by it. You know, he's 21. They're all too young now, Mina. I think the problem is they're all too young now. Like we look at all of them and just like it's children. I, I mean, in real life, I think someone who's 30 is a child. So you could just imagine like what <laughs> I think of a 21 year old. Basically, other than Zlatan, they're all children. Yes, Zlatan is like, you know, he's like one of us, right? <laughs> but like, I'm like still in a world where I want it to be Giroud's and Zlatan's and Ronaldo's, you know, where it's like, you know, our ages. Like he's 21. Like, how do you do what you're doing at 21? Like, it's, it's it never even in my mind about everything that I've read. I can tell you where he lives in Napoli. I can tell you how he gets to work. And I couldn't tell you his age because I'd never even thought to think or ask myself about it. He looks older. He does. Like he doesn't look old, but he looks older than 21. Like, and I, I wonder like, 
you know, he's obviously had a life, hasn't he? And, and, and like, said, work sure done. has some age to it. No, the opposite. No one ages themselves up, do they? Maybe some people do. Maybe when they're like under 18, some people try to like look older to get drinks or whatever, but like no one, no one like goes for surgery to look older when they're 21, do they? Is that a thing? No, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. The world's changing so fast. I don't know. <laughs> if, if you look at his face though, if you really, really focus, he does look young. I just, mm. I'm always shocked by Barella being 24 and, you know, now actually he's 25. He's starting to age actually, but you know what I mean? Like I still, yeah. to think that this guy is nearly, is four years younger. For me, it's mind blowing. I, I don't know why, even though I see Harland and obviously we know how, how young these kids are. I'm just. I, I get it. You know, I, I think there's a few things, isn't it? Like, you know, it's like I say, like he looks so old, like he can do the proper facial hair, which not everyone, you know, not, not all men's football players can do that at 21, but he can. He also plays like someone who's older, I think. Like, you know, he's not. Yes. I, I feel like it sort of feels normal not to do it as well as Harland does it, but to be like a sort of cocky centre forward who's like a bit bullish and gets in people's faces and scores goals. That feels like 21-year-old behaviour. But to be this sort of crafty, like thoughtful player who weaves patterns and, and unpicks things, that feels like it's a level of sort of maturity that's a bit different as a footballer as well. Yes, like if you tell me Victor Osman and Haaland are young, it, it's exactly that. It's their, the way they play their game. I think of them as being young, you know, they're bullish mm. in their nature. But it's precisely the cunning nature of Kravatskelia that made me shocked. Even though Pedri plays a very immature way of like weaving, yeah. like you said, it's still... But he's much, yeah, he's an old head as well. He's, he feels much older than he is in the way he plays. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. We're going so far off topic. Pure producer Simon, who cares? It's our show. Um <laughs> It, it's it, it's sorry, Simon. I, <laughs> God, I've broken Mina. Mina's gone. <laughs> sorry, Simon. It's our show. It's our show. It's our show. I didn't mean that in a mean way. Oh, Nikki, this was just spectacular. Right, um, I have no idea what we're talking about. All of this was to say that Karabatskeli is amazing. <laughs> and, and to, you know what I mean, to, to get back onto the football quickly, like, you know, like actually Spursia played a really good first half in this game and like it looked like this could actually be like a difficult game for Napoli. And then the second half started and they just gave away a completely needless penalty and then that, you know, completely changed everything. But yeah, Spursia for 45 minutes actually did give Napoli quite a good game. That's what I, I agree with you. And this is a Spezia side that had nine players missing because of suspensions mm. and injuries. I mean, that was like really hard for Gotti to, to bring his team along and, and sort of figure out a way of neutralizing ugh, what is like the best duo in Italian football and p potentially like right now, one of the top three in Europe as well. And just to give you some, some stats, Osman has gotten, you know, he's gotten 16 goals and three assists. Kravetskelia's eight goals and nine assists. I mean, that's just crazy. That is absolutely crazy. Meanwhile, for, yeah, I, I do agree with you. It's the handball um, and it becomes a penalty that Kravitzkeria scores. And it's sort of all over because then they have to try to find an equalizer and in doing so leave gaps in the back that then obviously get punished by the likes of Osman and, and, and Kravitzkeria. Yeah, there are mistakes leading up to the goals as well, but like the other ones. But yeah, the first one feels like the big one because it just breaks the floodgates, doesn't it? It changes the game. But this is it. It is the individual errors. It is Mattia Caldara for the third goal that you're just thinking, oh no, that's just like, oh, that's terrible. And I do think the goalkeeper could have done better on the second. Baraskelia in mezzo, Nicolao prima, Ampadu poi, pallone alzato, Osimendi testa, sull'uscita vuoto di droga. 
Ozyman, quinta di fila, 0-2. But it, it is, it's exactly that. And, and unfortunately for Svetio, that that's what they have in them, is that they have lots of, you know, these types of individual mistakes in general. But as a team effort, I mean, I would be, I was really impressed with what Gotti managed to create. But for them, this is their fourth loss in a row in all competitions. What I find so brilliant about Napoli is that they work hard. They always work hard, even though they have these brilliant two. It is, it is reading things like 22 tackles, you know, how many times they rob possession. They, they are a side that cover kilometers. They, they work hard. Also, another thing that I found interesting is Osman gets 130,000 euros for scoring 20 goals. And then it, that amount is there for every five more he gets. Like, I, I wonder if by the end of it, he's going to be like on 15 million. <laughs> the season is going. 16 so far. They are going to be interesting to watch in the Champions League. And I wonder whether or not their focus on that will change anything or not. But they're so far ahead now, 13 points ahead of Inter. You would think that that's it. The Scudetto is theirs, but we don't want to get carried away yet because I'm also scared of jinxing them. The other game that I thought was really interesting, actually, was uh, Roma Empoli. Well, only interesting for the first six minutes because that, that was it. That was all Roma needed to win the match against Empoli in the sense that, yet again, it was two set pieces, identical in its nature. Dybala with a corner, bam, goal, bam, goal. And it was over. And I felt really sorry for Empoli, who you feel like had really put so much thought into how they were going to try to stop Roma, but obviously couldn't defend the set piece to save their life. Parte Dybala. Pallone basso sul primo salto. Abraham! in meno di 6 minuti e dopo 275 giorni torna a segnare qui davanti alla sua gente 2-0 pazzesco fotocopia del primo gol ma ancora una volta and this has been one of Mourinho's great successes there right like his the, the, the attacking set pieces have been a real like weapon for, for Roma and, and obviously it it helps when you've got Dybala there to, to put those crosses in he makes such a difference to the team in general but certainly he has something from set pieces as part of that and they will they'll punish you from that and it's not the most, you know, it's, it's not Napoli, it's not Gerard Scalia and Osama making you jump out of your seat as much, but it's effective and, and it wins games. And I mean, actually, they could have won this by more as well. There was a ridiculous triple save by Vicario later in this game that I love him. You know, it's one of those things where you, where I'm watching and going, well, that's, that's going in my end of season awards piece, Vicario. Like that was ridiculous. That was incredible. Mancini va sul primo, palla tagliata lì. Dybala dopo il Cerawi, Vicario e poi Mancini, Vicario cosa ha preso? Abram Vicario, semplicemente un fenomeno Guglielmo Vicario, tre parate devastanti. Um, so it could have been more, it wasn't that they just completely stopped after that, but the game was very much sort of felt over very quickly because of those two goals. I'm sort of curious, Mina, I was saying this to you just before we started and, and I, um, I don't know if you have like a perspective on it. I was curious because of course Roma... They went out of the Coppa Italia to Cremonese and uh, they, you know, missed a real chance to win some silverware there, right? Because they would have been through to semi-final. The semi-final would have been against Fiorentina. No, Fiorentina pushovers, but certainly you, could, you can see worse opponents in a semi-final. It was, you are ahead of them in the league, the team you think you can beat. And then you've got a final and, and you've got a chance to win some silverware, build on the, the, the trophy that you won last season with the Europa Conference League. They've missed that now. So now it definitely feels like the the main focus of what's left of the season. You think, well, getting into the Champions League would be big for Roma, right? They haven't been there for a while. They want to get in. And I imagine that there was a point earlier this season when it looked like a, 
I certainly would have assumed that it looked like from where I was um, sitting, the most likely way they were going to get into the Champions League was by winning the Europa League, which they are still in. But now the top four has opened up so much. I do wonder if the top four is, is priority number one right now, because it looks really possible. If Juventus' points penalty isn't overturned, then I think I only really see Inter clearly ahead of them. They're in that group after that with Lazio, with Atlanta. And I, I think I would, obviously, and Napoli who are going to win the league. But uh, I think I see, I see them as maybe even the front runner in that group. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what you think about that. I'm with Milan as well. Let's see. If Lazio win today, they'll be one point ahead of Roma. Napoli, we're saying, will win it. Inter, we're saying, probably yeah. likely to come second, right? Let's just imagine Juventus stay in their position. Then that leaves mm-hmm. two more places. And you're saying Milan's out? I'm not saying they're out, but I'm saying I don't think that Milan's current problems are going to sort of snap your fingers and disappear. So I'm now really starting to think that out of that next group of four teams, which is Roma, Lazio, Atlanta and Milan, if I had to pick one that I felt like I had to sort of, I don't know, stake my house on, I wouldn't want to do it with any of them. I don't trust any of them that much. But if I had to, it might be Roma. I, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm really sort of struggling with that thought now, but like, I, I don't feel that confident in any of them. And I think Roma, the underlying stuff, like the underlying numbers and like expected goals all season have been pretty good. And if Dybala stays healthy, then I don't see why they shouldn't finish the top four. It makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm, let's be honest, we haven't been friends to Jose Mourinho on this podcast. We've always expected a little bit more. And he spoke a lot in his post-match conference about limitations. Like, this is what we can do. We can't really do much more. Obviously, there are financial rules that we have to respect. And some players that will come will not be people that will change everything around. They've had to live with a few injuries that have obviously hampered their season. But I think that the setup that's working now, I have to give them credit for it. Because I do think that they are a side that sort of earned their right to attack. And their foundations are very strong. And I, I, you, have to, you have to credit Mourinho for that in the sense that I defensively, they're a team that obviously doesn't offer you very much. They're stingy. But I love that the midfield duo of Matic and Cristante right now, it just works so well. Just even in this match, they just always know exactly how to stop everything and neutralize things from the, from the opponent. At the same time, trigger counterattacks, really offer themselves up to the forward line if need so. But it's about that brilliant shield in the middle that works to secure the defense. And I'm somebody, you know me, like I love a good defense, right? And I think that that midfield works so well with the overall aspect of Roma and the way that Jose Mourinho wants to. Like, let's close the back door and then we can work on going forward. And when you have people like Dybala, who can obviously always make the difference at certain moments because of their technical quality. And if we do see Tammy Abraham try to reproduce at least what he did in the second half of last season, then you always have a... a you have it in you to win, even if it's a 1-0 or a 2-0 on this occasion against Empoli. And I think that that's what I mean about going back to basics. You know, if you if you know how to get something on a set piece, if you know how to counterattack, if you can close up your back door, you always give your chance, uh, yourself a chance to win. And that's what I have to admire. It's what I, so I admire Allegri and that's why I've, I, I admire this, what now Mourinho is managing to achieve. It becomes difficult at times when he hasn't achieved that balance, which you did see in the start of the season. But I think that right now I have to agree with you because I think Roma's overall simplicity 
is actually kind of nice to watch in the sense that everyone knows exactly what they're doing, especially with Zalewski and Shirawi on the wide areas. I really like watching it. I just sort of hoped that their forward line would be a little bit more interesting because I'm not that I'm not that keen on Abraham see, obviously season. I do think that he's getting better and better, but it's also like if he's not there, if Dybal is not there, then there's very little. And that's the problem that we mm-hmm. get to. But Pellegrini works so hard and maybe you're right. Maybe it is that, but there's also Atalanta who unfortunately had a terrible game against Sassuolo. To me, they're just the, right now, they're one of the best teams to watch in football. Unless, of course, they get a red card, even though it's unconventional. So I don't know if anyone watched this, but uh, Atalanta lost 1-0 to Sassuolo. And this was a really interesting game because, to be honest with you, they were struggling in the first 30 minutes anyway. Sassuolo already had five shots on goal before Maia even got the red card and was sent off. So Atalanta weren't having a great time of it in the beginning. They obviously lost midweek in the Coppa Italia themselves. So they were just a shadow of themselves against Inter, frankly speaking. And then lost a player to red card, felt like they couldn't really come back. And then in the second half, we saw sort of the real Atalanta. Yeah, it wasn't enough, unfortunately for them, because I think Sassuolo had a, a terrific game. They're really starting to build up some steam again. Terrific might be a stretch too far, but you know what I mean. And mm. they had to hold on really to, to secure this win. But uh, Luis Muriel then gets a red card and, and Atlanta were down to nine at the very end. Interesting game. But there to me, I, I can't figure it out between them and Roma who I would go for because Atlanta have this ability to do it all that I'm not entirely sure Roma have. I can see that. And and yeah, maybe I'm being too reactive to them losing a game. Obviously, like we've talked about Adam Lookman the season he's having. Uh, they, they have got a lot going for them at Atlanta. And, and as you say, this was a very particular game at the weekend. Losing a player after 30 minutes makes a big difference. I do think Sassuolo as well, maybe just sort of, they've caught them on the rise, haven't they? They've come off that, I guess, morale-boosting win over Milan. It was a really nice goal from Oriente that breaks the, the date, the, the, the deadlock in this one. So sometimes individual matches happen. So it's, it's going to be a really interesting race over the next um, few weeks anyway. The, the title race doesn't look like it's going to be that interesting. Um, It'll be exciting to see Napoli win, but but doesn't look like it's going to get close. But the the, the top four races is very much wide open. It's still just what five points between Inter in second and Milan in sixth. So yeah, lots of competition there for those most remaining Champions League spots. Actually, there is one thing that I didn't ask you when it comes to Roma. Obviously, you've heard the news about Zaniolo potentially going to Galatasaray. Mm-hmm. We've spoken about him at great length, obviously, on this show about his position about the fact that we feel sorry for him, but can also understand that the club are very upset. And I, and I do really feel for the player, but if he does go to Galatasaray and they're saying that it's 18 million, does that satisfy anyone? I feel like it's lose-lose. It satisfies my desire for a story because I, I think that, you know, suddenly you look at Galatasaray and you think it's almost like the sort of home for waifs and strays, isn't it? With Dries Mertens there and Mauro Icardi there and Zaniolo. I mean, Zaniolo and Icardi just feels like a, I don't know, like a, a sitcom waiting to be written. <laughs> I don't know. Tasty. Uh, a buddy movie that, that we didn't know that, that we needed. Who knows? Some people have gone to Galatasaray and, 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 and other teams in Turkey as well and used them as like a really powerful sort of springboard to, to where they're trying to get to in European football. That is a team that gets competing the top European competitions every season that has a very sort of powerful and passionate position within its domestic football. Maybe it would be good for him to have a change of scene and do something completely different. 
I don't know. I don't know what Roma was sort of hoping for financially. It feels like less than they would have wanted, but at the same time, sometimes it's better to cut your losses with someone who's causing disruption and, and move on. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if more comes of that in the, the coming days. But doesn't it serve both of them? I mean, he's come out and apologized, right? I mean, it's perhaps not enough. At the same time, he's, he's also wanted time off because of everything that he's going through now on a mental level, which you can understand. But it sort of serves both their interest for him to do really well in the second half of the season to help Roma, but also to sort of make sure his price tag is worthy of Roma, who had obviously thought that they had a great asset that they can sell. And if they're selling for 18 million, because they don't want a loan with an obligation, they want to sell outright. It's just not enough for one of the brightest talents that we thought was going to be Zaniolo, you know? And maybe he's never going to be that guy. Maybe he's going to be, you know, a Kassan or a Balotelli, whatever you want to say. But I, I, I have faith. I still have faith in this kid. For as long as he's still a kid and I can still legitimately call him that, then I want to say that. And I think that if he accepts his position and sort of promises to work hard on and give everything, it serves both of them for them to just sort of forgive and forget and get back on track and get the money that Roma deserve if they want to sell him and for him to move to a place that he feels that is part of his big plan. Otherwise, the only team that I think misses out on all of this is the Italian national team. And, and I just can't have that. Yeah. And yeah, I share that with you in terms of who's sort of interested. If there's anyone whose interest I am invested in, it's the Italian national team. So yeah, it would be nice for him to be reclaimed as a talent. Yeah, it is really sound. Um, did you watch the Coppa Italia? Because there were some very um, boring and some interesting moments, would you say? <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I didn't um, get to see all 90 minutes of all four games, but uh, I certainly watched uh, plenty of it. And uh, there were some some turn-ups. Um, we mentioned Roma before, Roma exiting that competition to Cremonese. Cremonese, this sort of bizarre story that they've managed to now play 21 games in Serie A and not win any of them. And yet at the same time, they, they lost to um Lecce this weekend, didn't they, 2 At the same time, they have knocked both Napoli and Roma out of the Coppa Italia and are in the semi-finals. So yeah, very odd that you can't win any league games at all, but you managed to knock out two of the top teams in the league that you play in. I did have high hopes for them against Lecce. Yeah, it, it's certainly a come down to earth moment, isn't it? I know some people were sort of painting the, the cup game against Roma is this like revenge moment for Cyril Dessas, who of course played against them in the Conference League final and lost. What else happened in the Coppa Italia? Where, where our pre-podcast conversational got so heated, Mina, Max Allegri getting angry and producer Simon not happy about it. <laughs> so, well, yeah, that was what it was. Um, he was very angry with Dimelia. So some interesting, not very many interesting points to, to honestly highlight. So obviously we saw Lazio take on Juventus. Di Maria managed to somehow provoke Allegri into madness. And our dear conservative producer doesn't like this type of behavior on sidelines. <laughs> Poor Simon. <laughs> um, he said that, you know, we need to look at that deeply. But what it was only interesting for is, honestly, I can tell you that Keza and Vlaovic were back on the pitch and everyone wanted to see them perform brilliantly as this duo that everyone had talked about as, you know, virtual Juve. One day we're going to see, you know, Keza, Blauvich and Di Maria all perform beautifully to, I don't know when what competition anymore, but either way, just to be on the pitch to do something interesting. And they managed to get a 1-0. It wasn't through them. 
but they did get a 1-0 and they uh, defeated Lazio. So they will be facing Inter. Inter are the team that defeated Atalanta. And they are, well, they have the King of the Cups as their coach. So I'm just never going to go against Simone Inzaghi when it comes to these competitions. I think he'll win this all the way. On the other side of it as well, we had um, obviously Roma being knocked out to Cremonese and Cremonese will now play Fiorentina, who won their match. Yeah, no, so it was a really um, fun game actually between, or an interesting game, maybe fun, sorry, but an interesting game between Fiorentina and uh, Torino. And like, it's obviously like, I think uh, the semi-final that almost feels like, well, they both get semi-finals in completely different ways, aren't they? Actually, when really you've got sort of the the Derby d'Italia on one side of the draw, which is always a, a big game and a great game and, and an enjoyable game. And I think probably with Juventus' points penalty feels like it's going to be a bigger moment for Juventus than it otherwise would have been. Because, you know, even if you can't have the league season you wanted to do, then maybe the cup is the one thing Juventus can aim for. But equally, Inter are out of the title race. So it's their chance to win some silverware. And then on the other side of the draw, you have Fiorentina and Cremonese, for whom this is a real chance to win, to win silverware. So actually, I think this is actually about as compelling a set of semifinals as I could ask for in the, in the cup. And who knows if Fiorentina win and, and Juventus win, then you get another rivalry game in, in the final because Fiorentina hate Juventus, or at least their fans do. The Dusan Vlavich derby, I guess we could call it. Although the hatred goes back much beyond that. Should we do some shout outs? Yeah. We've got some new listeners, some new Tifosi members. So thank you so much for uh, joining and listening in. Hello and welcome to the new members. We're starting off with Andrew Fanestiel. I think that's how you pronounce your name, Andrew. If it's not, do let me know. Jack Overstreet, welcome. And Kieran Power. Also, thank you so much. Henry Bell, the co-editor of the website gentlemanarchery.com and host of the Shadow, in Pesuvio, Shadow of Pesuvio podcast. Uh, thanks also to Nate Pedrotti and Mike Hendricks. Thanks. Uh, thanks all of you for uh, supporting the show and for being our Chronicles Tifosi. Uh, we'll be back on, I think we described we are still going to record on Monday. I'm going to be away covering the Super Bowl for The Guardian uh, next week. So our timings are going to be a bit different, but hopefully actually it might not affect the timing of the podcast because we normally have the podcast upload on Tuesdays anyway. So um, just bear with us if the main podcast is a little bit of a different time to normal and uh, maybe we'll get some voice notes to you in the meantime as well. In any case, thank you for listening and for being with us all the way through to the end and we'll see you very soon. Bye. Roberto Baggio has equalised! A minute and 45 seconds left of the 90, and finally Roberto Baggio delivers! It was Moussi who'd come forward, drove himself through the tackle, and Baggio just beyond the fingers, just inside the post. Now, can they get good service this time from a wide player? Roberto Baggio took it over. Benarivo went down under a challenge. It's a penalty. It's given. Egwarven, a judge to have brought down Benarivo, and 
Italy with a penalty, 10 minutes into the first period of extra time. Fazio has scored off the post. Italy lead 2-1. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.